Episode 128, Capital Building. I'm Assistant Curator Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a March 9th, 2011 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. Started one year after the Civil War, the Kansas State House was unlike anything seen before on the prairie. With soaring limestone columns and a giant copper dome, building this structure was a miracle in manpower. In the 1880s, a young immigrant named Nels Ferguson found himself at the center of this massive building project. Join Registrar Nikhila Zimmerman and me as we examine tools used by Ferguson to construct the Kansas State House. Shortly after building the People's House, Ferguson moved to North Central Kansas to build his own. Then we go behind the scenes to tour the State House with a guide from the Capitol Tour Center. Currently under renovation, the State House is slowly returning to its former glory. Find out about political life inside this virtual city. Finally, in Six Degrees of William Allen White, we celebrate St. Patty's Day by connecting White, a small-town newspaper editor from Emporia, Kansas, to the Blarney Castle, a medieval fortification in Southern Ireland. But first, Capitol Building. Hello, Nikayla. Okay, today we're going to talk about a set of tools used by a stonemason named Nels Ferguson during yep. the construction of the Kansas State House. Mm. Uh, the tools include a plumb bob, a masonry float, a crowbar, and a level. And they look as though they've seen a lot of building projects in their day. They do look a little rough. They're pretty well worn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us who was Nels Ferguson and how did he end up in Kansas? Nels Ferguson uh, was Swedish, and he was born in Kvindig. Oh, nice. Something like that. Anyway, he was born in Sweden <laughs> in 1838. Uh, and about his mid-30s, he ended up, he got engaged, and he immigrated to the U.S. So it sounds like him and his wife kind of had this plan. Mm -hmm. um, he was going to come over to the U.S., establish himself, and once he had the means and resources, she would come over here to join him. Not an uncommon scenario. No, pretty standard. And in fact, you will find that the journey of this individual, Nels Ferguson, is actually um, the atypical uh, journey of an immigrant to Kansas in that time period. Upon arrival, he comes to Chicago, where he kind of links up with the Swedish subculture. Uh, he gets a job as a day laborer to start making some, making a little money. So he goes from, he's, he's in Chicago for a little while, and then he comes to Junction City, um, where there actually is already a, an established Swedish community. Um, and it would actually make sense that immigrants are living in Junction City because that's right next to Fort Riley, which is a mm -hmm. federal installation, had been there. A lot of a lot of government jobs, a lot of government contracts, and right. enough uh, enough work to support a, an immigrant population. Mm -hmm. And then eventually he gets a job working in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, another federal installation. So then he came back from Oklahoma, and he actually moved to Topeka, which is not that far from Junction City. Um, and he gets a job working at the 
working at the state house or building the state house, which is a massive con- construction project that's going on and actually probably hiring a lot of immigrant labor. Much like it um, is now. <laughs> exactly. Well, I don't know about the immigrant labor, but it's a massive construction project. Um, so eventually, though, he acquires enough wealth that um, he purchases land in north central Kansas. And in late 1880s, he takes his wife, who has by that time met him in Topeka, takes his wife and kids into Jewell County, Kansas, um, where he settles down near another Swedish community or another Scandinavian community called Scandia, Kansas. Mm-hmm. So he makes it. He makes the full journey from, from Sweden to the frontier farm. And did his wife follow that plan of him sending for her? Of course not. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He was, uh, you know, he was. He had some financial difficulties along the way, and at one point, he had kind of lost his fortune. Not real sure what he lost it on, but he lost most of his money, so he had mm-hmm. to go back to um, banking it up again. And I think she was probably getting pretty anxious to get over here. And mm-hmm. she, you know, she contacted him. He said, "Wait, don't come over here yet. Um, I, I'm, I'm still trying to build up some money." Mm-hmm. And you know, it was within probably a month or two that she showed up <laughs> on the train at Topeka and said, "Surprise, I'm here." <laughs> Get to work. <laughs> and then they get married five days later, and he gets a job building the Capitol. So it worked out in the end. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> when did construction of the Kansas State House begin, and why did it take so long to complete? Right. Construction began almost immediately after the Civil War in 1866. That's that's um, not long after Kansas has become a state. Um the project actually takes up until 1903, so about 37 years of construction, which is, you know, why why so long? Well, to be quite honest, it's because it was a massive endeavor. And in particular, it was a massive endeavor on the frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, this was probably the biggest, one of the biggest construction projects going on in Kansas at the time. Maybe there were some larger buildings at the forts, but I doubt that they were this big and designed to be this permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, so they start building this. Um, they have a couple uh, failures early on. They try to use some cheap <laughs> it's government trying to go <laughs> on the cheap. So they're trying to use um, uh, some cheap local stone around the Topeka area. Mm-hmm. And it ends up what they put together starts to fall apart pretty early on. So that's when I think they actually get the idea that, that this project is going to have to be pretty massive. And it's going to have to be done well. It's going to have to be expensive. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be products. Exactly. Yeah. There's going to have to be some commitment. So they end up building uh, a quite a massive structure. Uh, it's about 300 feet, 304 feet tall. And you have to remember that they built this with very little machination. Mm-hmm. Like, that means that there was mostly horses uh, driving the cranes. And... Um, and it was probably a large amount of immigrant labor. I mean, I haven't actually seen that documented anywhere, but my guess is that Mr. Ferguson, the Swedish immigrant, was not the only Swedish immigrant helping build that building at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, they had John Haskell. He's a famous architect in Kansas, at least. There's a lot of really amazing buildings throughout the state that were designed by Haskell. Fortunately, Haskell was the state architect. And he was there for quite some time, and he was there for a good portion of the construction of the state house. So he provided that continuity, that driving force, that we have a mission, this is what it's going to look like, this is how it's got to be done. Mm-hmm. So they did it in three stages. They did the east wing first, mm-hmm. which is today where the Senate is located. They did the west wing after that, which is where the House of Representatives is located. And then they did the central rotunda uh, later on. So you have to imagine it's it's being built in components or parts. Right, right. And there's temporary structures that be that are built to link the two wings without a center. And so state offices occupy one building, and then when the other one's done, they have to be reconfigured to move over to the other building. So... Um, it's logistically, it's a pretty, pretty amazing project. 
And I think probably what also took a lot of time was just transporting the stone. It's huge pieces of stone that they ended up having to get from Junction City, which is about which is about an hour and a half west, and from Cottonwood Falls, Kansas, which is probably about two. I think by, by, by interstate and a car, <laughs> yeah, yeah. not by <laughs> a horse and a half, wagon. Three hours uh, southwest of here. Yeah. So it would have taken a lot longer to get this building material to uh, to Topeka at the time. Mm. It's really interesting to look at pictures of the Capitol being constructed because you have these massive buildings, but it's just like this one square section of it sitting alone on the prairie. There's like right. nothing around it. Right. Today it's surrounded section. by tall state office buildings, um, but in its time, I mean, it was a it was a uh, French Renaissance building slowly rising from mm-hmm. the plains. Yep, pretty cool. So what part of the Capitol did Nels work on? Uh, which section and what type of work did he do? Uh, well, Nels was here in 1879, and that, in fact, that's when his wife came over in 1879. He got the job right away. Um, and then he, he left in the, the early 1880s. So that puts him right in the building of the West Wing. I think that's kind of interesting. Um, I think that he probably got that job because prior to, uh, in between building the Capitol uh, and working at Fort Sill, he actually worked at a rock quarry. And really? the Tweedale Construction Company, which was an Irish construction company, or ran by the by an Irish man, um, they, they were the construction company that built big parts of the Capitol. They had crews at these rock, rock quarries, and I think that's probably how he got linked up with that construction company and ended up getting a job uh, mm-hmm. on the project. Um, Ferguson is what's called a fixer mason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically that means he did not do the delicate Corinthian uh, capitals at the top of the columns. Mm-hmm. His job was to move giant pieces of stone into place and uh, apply the mortise to make sure they stayed there. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a muscle job. Yeah. So was the Capitol the only building that Nels helped to construct in Kansas? Nope. He worked at Fort Sill in Oklahoma, which was then Indian Territory. Mm-hmm. He also helped build the state hospital here in Topeka. Mm-hmm. Um, he did help build the state house. But interestingly, once he, did the, uh, once he helped build the people's house, uh, he moved out west and he built his own house. Uh, he built what he later named Rock Hill Farms in Jewell County, Kansas. Um, so he moved there in the early 1880s, and for about a year, him and his family lived in a, lived in a dirt dugout mm-hmm. while he is building this farm. And he is basically quarrying the stone out of his backyard, uh, which is a hill. Mm-hmm. And that's why he called it Rock Hill Farm. Ah. The tools actually belong to a descendant of his, Dr. John Ferguson, who mm-hmm. lives in, in Clyde, Kansas, which is not far from where Rock Hill's uh, was located. And Dr. Ferguson is a vet. The, he's, you know, the family has kind of stayed in the area, and he's a vet, and he's kind of maintained um, some of the items from his descendants. And among those items were 22 tools that belong mm-hmm. to Nels Ferguson. And among those 22 tools are the four items that were used on the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Nels was a Swede who immigrated to Kansas and became fairly successful in his lifetime, had a nice farm, lived a good long life, and raised a family. Let's talk about some other famous Swedish yes. immigrants. Yes. Let's. Um, right. So you want me to talk about like, so, some of my, like, my top favorite 
Famous Swedes. Famous Swedes. Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So we'll start out with uh, Burger Sandzane. Mm, um, good one. Good one. He is very. He's very important. He's a well-known Swede in Kansas. Mm-hmm. In the 1930s, he was instructor at Bethany College in Lindsberg, Kansas. Lindbergh is known as Little Sweden. In yes. fact, it's known a lot of places as Little Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a famous artist. A famous artist that did really stunning work. But he really promoted art during the Dust Bowl. Mm-hmm. And that's when he got kind of famous. Right. So. But my last character, I feel, is probably the famous. The most famous Swede of all, mm-hmm. the Swedish chef. Well, I mean, of course. <laughs> for the first how can you fifteen years love? of my life, <laughs> that's how I thought you spoke Swedish. <laughs> Thank you, Jim Henson. <laughs> right. All right, Merle. Thanks for telling us about Ferguson's tools. Though construction ended in 1903, the State House was not technically completed for another century. In that time, Kansans argued about the statue that would adorn the building's copper dome. Original plans called for a statue of Circe, the Roman goddess of agriculture. But many felt she was too pagan, too promiscuous, and too expensive. Other suggestions included a bison, a flagpole, and even a box of Wheaties. Eventually, a design was selected, and in 2002, a statue that depicted a Native American was bolted to the dome. He is the subject of today's Kanza Quiz. What is the popular name of this proud Kaw Indian? standing in downtown Topeka in front of the Kansas State House. Today, we join Andrea Burton of the Capitol Tour Center as she takes us on a tour of this architectural triumph. But before we head in, we want to position our listeners a little bit. Um, Nikayla, can you tell them a little bit about what you're looking at right now? Sure. The State House sits on a 20-acre site known as the Capitol Complex where the ultra-modern Judicial Center, as well as the historic memorial and Landon buildings surround it. Though the neighboring docking building rivals the State House in height, the Copper Dome ensures that the State House dominates the skyline for miles. The French Renaissance-style building resembles the Capitol in Washington, D.C., except ours is 16 feet taller and slightly sand-colored due to the native limestone. The building also has a giant Copper Dome over the central rotunda. Over the years, the dome has turned green as the copper tarnished. Fortunately, designers intended for this to happen. Since 2002, the complex has also been home to giant cranes and the hum of construction equipment as the capital goes through a massive multi-year renovation. Well, Michaela, you ready to head in? Yeah, let's go. Welcome to the Capitol. My name is Andrea. I will uh, take you through a tour of the Capitol today. There is some construction going on. We have been under renovation since 2002. And you may hear some a lot of people talking because it is a fully functional, operating, <laughs> central location for state government. Yes. Yes, and it is a made mostly of marble. So we have a lot of marble, which echoes quite nicely throughout right. the building. So if you're walking through or using a jackhammer, it makes <laughs> lots and lots of right. good noise. One set of high heels can be heard clear across <laughs> the building. Right. Well, That's I right. think it's comforting for our listeners to know that there is work that happens yes. in their capital building. And in fact, right now, <laughs> yes. in particular, yes. is very busy because. 
the Kansas legislature is in session. That's right. We tell everyone it is a working building. So sometimes the school children still don't want to be quiet, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, and their voices can echo all the way up to the Senate and House chambers, but that's all right. <laughs> we'll stand here by the cage elevator and we're going to push the button. The only button we push to uh, ride the elevator is the one that calls the elevator down to us. It is an elevator from 1923. It's been in the Capitol since that time and has been in working order since then. In 1976, our legislature voted that it should always be uh, maintained as a hand-operated elevator, and so it is. And so we're waiting. Here comes the elevator there now. Comes, there's there's the elevator here. operator. Very oh. smooth ride, and it's very fast. And it's very festively decorated for St. Patrick's yes. Day. Yes. <laughs> so I can't walk in and say it looks just the way it did in 1923, because I'm sure the uh, St. Patrick's Day celebrations are not here. Uh, we just heard the door close. Uh, it is a cage. And now we add the lovely Miss Eleanor is our operator today. And we'll say, we would like to go to the third floor, please. And she will take Thank us you. up there. You're welcome. <laughs> We'll take a right here and we'll go into the Senate chamber itself. The Senate uh, side is the oldest part of the Capitol, the oldest section. It was completed first about 1866 uh, through 1870. It was renovated in 1885 when the uh, House of Representatives was finished. The senators then wanted theirs to be a little bit newer and fresher, and so they did renovate uh, in 1885 at a cost of $181,000. That's pretty good. <laughs> which was a lot of money back then, but uh, as you can see, the, the chamber is beautiful. It is uh, very elaborately decorated. There's really no part of the walls that's unadorned. There's marble everywhere from Italy and Belgium on the walls, and uh, then there's Egyptian plaster work that goes about halfway up the walls, and then the whole entire ceiling is all the Egyptian plaster work, and that's about 170 years old. And there's gold trim on the ceiling that is 22 karat gold, so that wow. is real gold wow. up there. And since it is like the upper house of, of a body of government, um, would you say that the Senate chain chamber is more decorative or more or ostentatious? Than uh, they're both very beautiful chambers, chambers but the... Uh, we get more compliments on this chamber. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people tell us that it's the best in the nation. So we don't we don't claim that, but when enough people come and say, I've been to 44 capitals and yours is the best, I, I tend to believe them. We'll so. take it. Do you want to talk a little bit about the bronze um, columns, or I'm sorry, copper, copper columns? <laughs> They're actually a, a feature to uh, maintain temperature, right? Yeah, well, they used, to be, they used to be used to draw hot air out of the Senate chamber. Now, some hmm, people say that's no not possible, <laughs> but we don't, we don't make any comments about that at the tour centers. Okay, so now we have just entered the uh, substantially larger um, house chamber of the Kansas legislature. And again, the ceiling in this chamber has the gold trim that had also been covered over. Also in this chamber, amazingly enough, there's four murals on the ceiling, and they also were covered over uh, before the renovation. Uh, we, we guess they used to have gas lighting and smoking in the Capitol, and they were probably easier to paint over than to restore. <laughs> so, uh, but they, they're called uh, Justice, History, Law, and the First Dawn of Liberty. So... Those four, if you come, they're very beautiful now, uh -huh. and uh, hopefully inspire the legislators to make all the all the good laws <laughs> for us. So we, we, we hope so anyway. And then the chandeliers that you see, they're made of brass, and they're a thousand pounds each. Wow! So sometimes when we tell school groups that, they step aside from being standing directly underneath <laughs> it. But. Uh, uh, 
I'm going to sound like a total school kid here, but how do you change the lights in them? Do they, they actually lower, lower they, to they the lower. ground? They lower. Because they are huge. Yes. The Supreme Court, the House, and the Senate, all the lights can be lowered on winches. So they come down. So sometimes it's kind of cool. You'll come in, and they'll actually be down on the floor, and they'll be changing them. And I know that there are some interesting things done with kind of fake marble in this room, right? Like uh, these columns aren't necessarily... They're Though all they fake. look yeah. like marble. <laughs> they are not. They are not. You are correct. And sometimes people think they look better than the other marble. But no, they are. My, the interesting fact, I think, about those, they're the pink marble. It's, it's false, the scagliola. But right below those is the white Italian Carrera marble, which is like the most famous right. marble in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Michelangelo's <laughs> my, marble. Yes, Michelangelo yeah. used it for his famous statue so of David. So we have famous marble right next to right fake, fake marble. Fake marble. <laughs> yep. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what the atmosphere is like in the house chamber while they're in session? Because there is a lot of people in here. Yes. Not just um, not just 125 legislators, but there's support staff. There is people who are being announced at the podium any given day. There's a lot going on in here. It is very it's it's very exciting. It's it's very it's it's loud. It's noisy. It's a lot of energy. It's exciting. Okay, Andrea, you just brought us into the, um, this is the ceremonial governor's office, correct. yes? Correct. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the desk and, and what this office usually is used for? Yeah, this, now we talked about pages in the House and Senate, and this is where they would come to get their picture taken. And other people who want audiences with the governor come in here, and it is considered the ceremonial office. The desk is a walnut desk that was made in the 30s by the School for the Deaf in Olathe, Kansas. So, Kansas Connection. It is a companion desk, so you can sit on both sides, and, and each person would have drawers and, and are able to. I tell kids you need to share, so it's a good, <laughs> even the governor knows how to share. So, um, If you want to just talk a little bit about uh, if, if I'm a school teacher or a school group, or even if I'm just Joe, Joe Schmo going through Topeka, how can I get a tour of this building? Well, Joe Schmo, we love to take you through the <laughs> Capitol. So uh, we encourage visitors to come. We are open uh, year-round, Monday through Friday. Uh, we used to be open on Saturdays, but that will re- won't reopen until the Dome reopens. So uh, we offer tours Monday through Friday, 9, 10, 11, 1, 2, and 3. And if you want to schedule a tour, you can call us at 785-296-3966, or you can email us at capital at kshs.org, and we'll be happy to just schedule it all through email. I know some people like the modern technology. So, All right, Andrea, thanks for taking us on a tour of the no Capitol. No problem. Thank- Come anytime. Bring your friends. I'm Merle Riedel. And the answer to today's Kansas quiz is Ad Astra. Bolted to the State House Dome in 2004, Ad Astra is a 22-foot tall, two-ton bronze Caw Indian with a bow and arrow pointed skyward. Appropriate for a statue whose name is derived from the Kansas motto, Ad Astra Paraspera, which is Latin for to the stars through difficulty. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me today is Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hello. And Museum Director Bob Kekheisen. Hi. Today, we pay homage to St. Patrick's Day by connecting William Allen White to the Blarney Castle, which is a medieval fortification in southern Ireland. Bob? 
How about a wee bit of old background on the good castle? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, like you couldn't find somebody Irish for this one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Keck Eisen, a great Irish name. Uh, anyway, but well. You've been, but you've been yes, to Ireland, I have yes? Been, I've been to Ireland, yes. Very good. And, uh, and I've actually been to Blarney Castle, so but uh, so that's where I know some of this, um, casting back in my memory. Uh, Blarney Castle was erected in the 15th century on the site of a 13th century fortification. So it's been around for quite a while. It's located on a hilltop in the province of Munster. And it really served as kind of a strategic stronghold. It belonged to the McCarthy dynasty, and that's one of several families that uh, competed to be kings of Munster, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know, <laughs> sounds like a TV show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kings of Munster. Um, but uh, the entire uh, castle is made of stone, but it's particularly well known for one, and that's the Blarney Stone. And this is a stone that's at the top of the castle. And it uh, is kind of a mystical artifact that uh, the, the story is that when you kiss the Blarney Stone, it bestows upon you the power of eloquent, eloquent speech or Very kind good. of the, the gift of gab. Um, so that's come down to us that the term Blarney has come to mean flattering or coaxing or just long-windedness. Or, you know, right. That's a lot of Blarney. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it can kind of have a, a little bit of a negative connotation now. And... Uh, many people believe the stone once belonged to the Scottish king Robert the Bruce and was given to one of the McCarthy lords uh, after they kind of teamed up uh, against England right. at some point. Which didn't happen yeah. very often, but yeah. from time to time, the uh, Scottish and the Irish ganged up. Every once in a while. Um, doing, when I was doing some research, like there's like several, there's hundreds of stories about where the mm-hmm. stone came from yeah. and what the legend is and what it can do for you. One of them connected it to, I just like the idea of sort of mystical stones. Yeah. And one of them connected it to, um, uh, there is a stone that's important sort of to the Scots and to the English. It's mm-hmm. the stone of scone. Oh, which yeah. sounds delicious. Sounds yeah. very tasty. Yeah. <laughs> much, it would be much better to kiss that. Right, the stone, stone of scone. <laughs> but uh, what I like is that it's called, it's, you know, it's called the um, stone of destiny. Mm-hmm. I think that's man. That's, that's cool. A, that sounds very Harry Potter book, isn't it? Stone no. of <laughs> Harry Potter and the Stone, stone of Destiny. Okay, Bob. So you've been there. How does yes. one actually kiss the stone? Well, it's a lot more involved than I thought it was going to be. I'd always heard kiss the Blarney Stone, and I figure you know there's just this stone, and you lean down and kiss it. Oh no! Uh, first, you stand in a long line mm-hmm. of everybody else like who Disney. wants to kiss the kiss the Blarney Stone. It's at the top of the castle, so you have to go up this very narrow, winding staircase. And you're behind all these people, so you're kind of, if you're lucky, staring them in the in the hips as you're behind them. And when you're my height, you're staring usually at something else. And you wander up their blarney. Yeah, you, <laughs> you you wander up this large, and then you're outside on the top of the castle. And the the castle itself is um, it's not restored, so it's it's very it's ruins a uh, ruin essentially. But so you're up on the top, and the blarney stone is actually at the outside of the parapet, and so there's a gap between the wall and the outside of the parapet. And so what you have to do is lie down on your back, and there's a guy, who, and this is his job, he does this all day, and I think the same guy's been doing it for you know decades, because you see him on all the old postcards, and it's like, hey, that's the guy that just helped me. <laughs> but you, you lie down on your back, and there are two metal bars on either side of the stone, and you lean back upside down, over this opening and uh-huh. reach up and kiss the Blarney Stone. Now, in order to keep you from falling uh, down the outside of the wall, there are those two bars I mentioned that you hang on to, but the guy kind of holds your hips, and mm-hmm. a lot of times 
kind of helps you shove you Shoves out. Shoves you over. <laughs> so basically, a lot of people get shoved into the Blarney Stone, oh, which is no. what happened to my wife. She kind of got her nose smashed Bloodied into the Blarney, by the Blarney Stone. Stone. And when you think about it, it really is kind of bizarre with all of our modern concerns about health and passing germs that you're lined up with hundreds of people to put your lips on this mm. rock that every yabbo in front of you has just kissed. <laughs> um, and then you also have to tip the guy. You know, the whole shoe to keep you falling down. You into the so, stone. <laughs> yeah, so there's a little basket there. You take off your glasses. You have to take everything out of your pocket so it doesn't fall out. You lie down. The guy shoves you into the stone, and then you have to pay him. <laughs> All right, Nikayla, um, you want to name a few famous people? Because Bob isn't the only famous person yeah. that's kissed the yeah. stone. There has yeah. been some others. You want to tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, Bob's lips have been where famous lips have been, like Milton Hershey, who soon after visiting the stone... Uh, invented the Hershey Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, Winston Churchill, some claim he was a pretty bland speaker until his 1912 trip to nice. the stone. And finally, Laurel and Hardy. And you'll note that they did make the successful transition from silent films to talkies. Coincidence? I think not. Yeah. Very nice. Nikayla, I believe you also have a solution, a way to connect William Allen White... <laughs> To a 15th century slobbery stone. I do, yeah. <laughs> well, in 1946, Blarney Castle was featured in a Sherlock Holmes radio dramatization in which a man falls to his death while trying to kiss the Blarney Stone. Apparently, or he did wasn't. he fall? I think he might have been pushed maybe by that same man. Or he, did, or he didn't leave a proper <laughs> tip. That could be, yeah, yeah. Well, Sherlock Holmes, of course, was a famous fictional detective created by author and physician Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And after decades, um, or after several deaths of um, his family members in the early 1900s, Doyle became interested in spiritualism and even befriended Harry Houdini, who was another follower of the spiritualist movement. Um, Unfortunately, they had a huge public falling out because Doyle thought that Houdini really possessed supernatural powers, and Houdini tried to convince him that he was just doing illusions, but (laughs) Doyle wasn't buying it, so they broke up in public. Um, And, of course, we know Ed and Ferber once interviewed Harry Houdini. They were from the same hometown, Uh Appleton, Wisconsin. Or were they? Or were they? It may have been an illusion. Um, And uh, William Allen White was good friends with Ed and Ferber. Very nice. Very nice. Nice solution. Good one. Um, uh, all right, Bob, you want to give us uh, the challenge for the next episode? You bet. Well, for the next episode, we take journalism to new heights, even higher than Blarney Castle, mm-hmm. when we connect William Allen White to Lois Lane, mm-hmm. the determined, strong-willed reporter at the Daily Planet. Uh, and, of course, girlfriend to the fictional superhero, or was he? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Superman. So, connect William Allen White to Lois Lane. Very well. So, come back in two weeks when we connect William Allen White to Lois Lane. Did White have a thing for obnoxious female journalists that dated powerful men? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. waiting to That concludes episode 128. Capitol Building. If you would like to see images of the tools that built the capital of Kansas, go to our website, kshs.org. While there, be sure to fill out a podcast survey. Or better yet, like us on Facebook by searching for Kansas Historical Society. In the next episode, curator Laurel Fritch and I examine cider bottles produced on an apple orchard in Lewisburg, Kansas. According to legend, 
Apples were rare in Kansas until a man named Johnny Appleseed rolled through town. Did Appleseed stop off in Lewisburg to plant an orchard that still produces today? Find out in two weeks. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. I cannot...